welcome to an exploratory episode of Important Question. And this is your Captain Gordon Highland alongside my co-pilot, Caleb J. Ross. Caleb had some recording issues these last couple of episodes, so I apologize for any quality discrepancy. So, with the announcement of the Mars One program, over 200,000 Earthlings applied to depart this shithole planet and endure eight years of training before a seven-month, one-way, unshowered flight to colonize an unspoiled planet. Four people will be selected every two years, and so we ask, would you leave this life behind and everyone in it to realize your astronaut fantasy? And as we usually do, let's state our initial yes or no positions in three, two, one. No. no. Well, um, I'm actually kind of bummed by that because I, <laughs> I was kind of hoping that maybe you would take the trip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Wow. It means a lot. Not just for the obvious benefits of your absence that that would create, but I, I thought it would be super cool to maybe do an episode of the podcast long distance someday. I mean, after all, it only takes seven, uh, there's a seven minute delay between responses. So it'll only be slightly more tedious than our <laughs> usual episode. And this is Caleb J. Ross. <laughs> Be a satellite. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so why not, Caleb? First of all, I- I'm not I'm not a uh, I've never seen Star Wars. Uh, I have I'm familiar with Star Trek enough to uh, know that uh, it's better than Star Wars. Um and those two things seem like a prerequisite for even caring about Mars. Uh, I, I guess I, I probably t- I, I take the stance that that who the fuck cares about Mars besides scientists? Uh, I, I I know that there's important uh, things that have happened due to this research, and I know we found important things in space and, and metals and all this kind of stuff, and we're learning more about the universe and all that kind of thing. But it, it just ha- I have no interest in I guess. It's creating a legacy beyond my own life here on Earth, and that's really what that boils down to. Is I think you, you know you're going to die uh, on, either on the way there or when you're there. You're, it's not a return flight home, which I'm sure we'll get into. That reminds me, of my one of my favorite parts of The Exorcist is early in the movie when the little girl come down comes downstairs before she's fully evil, and they're having a party and with her actress mother, and there's an astronaut there, and he was been talking about the mis- upcoming mission, and she just looks at him dead eyed and says, "You're going to die up there." <laughs> That is scarier than anything that happens for the rest of the movie. So I, I, th- I think my reasons are are pretty substantial. But what about you, Gordon? Let's let's hear yours. It's really it's not about the leaving Earth part. I mean, that that is that has a certain appeal to me. <laughs> but <laughs> leaving everyone behind, everything that I have here, but it, it has an appeal for us too, Gordon. I assure you, <laughs> yeah, that's payback. Uh, but it's really more about like the the psychological aspect of, of living on another planet. The, the the whole thing just being everything is completely synthesized and artificial. And I I feel like I'd be bubble boy, you know, just worrying about when is the thing, you know, the the least if someone steps outside and they die. You know, it's all mm-hmm. it's all contingent upon this contained, very regulated atmosphere. Literally speaking, I'm not down for that. I think though, after so long, you might almost welcome that death <laughs> really i mean you <laughs> right i i would i and i know you go through uh we'll talk probably sure a little bit about it but you go through plenty of training before you get there so they kind of weed out the the people like me who mentally wouldn't be fit for such a trip but even those that do sneak by i feel like after so many years or in isolation 
you're going to kind of hope that every time someone is walking, they're going to trip and tear a hole in your in your you know bounce bouncy house yeah. uh, house that you live in. Like that scene in Fight Club where he's just wishing for an in. He's just wishing for it. Yes, exactly. That's got to happen. I mean, I don't care how mentally sound you think you are. Even even like monks who like you know meditate by themselves for years and years and years eventually succumb to the fly that's buzzing in their face. I mean, you, <laughs> you can only have so much like focus and concentration. Yeah, the Chinese water torture. Yeah, yeah. Was that racist? Uh, no, no. Water is actually is of Chinese origin. So oh, okay, good, good. Yeah. What else? What else? I mean, the bland scenery. Yes, I agree with you. But like, what else? You know, for one thing, I never wanted a roommate to begin with, not in college or any other time. And you're going up. You're in this really cramped environment. The the flight, like I said, is uh, about seven months. And going up there, the travel up there is even more cramped than it will be. They have fairly spacious, about the size of a studio apartment, I think, once you actually get up there. But the the travel up there. I think you'd really, really, really have to like the people that you went up there with because I can just imagine we talk about the ultimate reality show that the drama between types of people that are never coming back on a completely foreign planet. I think the the journey there, the flight there, that would be the best television probably even before they get there. And I was thinking that would be pretty funny. But I did a little research and come to find out they are turning this into a reality <laughs> show. That's part of the funding aspect of it. So, of course, also fuck exercising three hours every day just to maintain your body mass. Yeah, I read that. I don't do that now. Why would I do that right. on Mars when no one's going to see me? No, right, right. Who are you trying to impress? <laughs> yeah, You're trying to impress <laughs> Stacy, uh, the other woman there. It's like Adam and Eve, you know? <laughs> Who cares? Let, let your gut grow out. Yeah. The food's going to be bland. You talked about the scenery being, you know, nothing exciting to look at. You probably can't smoke up there. You know, I was talking to a buddy of mine and I was like, dude, you're not going to be able to grow weed up there. And he's like, hydroponics man <laughs> that's actually part of the training program before you go up there uh it's eight years worth of training and you, they, they isolate you for a few months out of each year and they teach you things like just like emergency medical stuff surgery uh, electrical training uh and agronomy how to grow things hydroponically stuff like that so that you'll be prepared once you get up there but um i wonder what the average lifespan of someone would actually be once they arrive i have a i have a strong feeling everyone's going to die on the way there on the way, not even make it to the planet. Yeah, everyone's going to die before they even get to the planet. And this is of, of the first four that that goes. I don't know if you talked about it yet, but they do go in in um, in, in series. So you know, one year it's four people are chosen. I think two years later, then four more people are sent up, and so on until they exhaust. I don't know how many people, but it's it's kind of in stages. Yeah, um, and that and that sort of that stage. Uh, presentation there is is also something that, that would kind of make me a little averse because if, if I was going to do this, um, I think there's two types of people that would do this: either people who are truly interested in the science of it, um, and they and they truly just want to uh, learn about Mars. They want to learn about this type of environment. You know, they might be psychologists or scientists or whoever it is that they really truly want to understand this kind of thing. The other type are egomaniacs who basically want to go down in history as as being the first people on Mars, and really that only works. For the first, not just the first group of people that go to Mars, but really the first person who steps on Mars, because nobody remembers who the second guy to stand on the moon is. I'll give you thirty dollars if you know his name right now. Nobody does. Was it you? Or are you just bitter? And this is something you always bring up <laughs> passive aggressively. It would be me. <laughs> every every chance you get. Yeah, I'm just a decrepit old man who's very pissed that that I don't get all the fame I deserve. Yeah. But I know if I were the second guy on Mars. I, first of all, I know I would be. I'm very physically weak. Uh, I, I am not fast. So as soon as the door opens, first of all, you have seven years, eight years 
or however long it is to take you to, that takes you to act, even get to Mars. Seven months. Seven miles away off, but still seven months. I would. Everyone's going to be dead anyway. Like I said, um, <laughs> Nostradamus here, and so there's all these like all these people are going to be sort of rushing to open the door. I'm sure. And even though it might be unspoken, I think everyone's in their head going to think, I want to be the first. I got to be the first one to touch down. I got to be the first one because that's all anybody cares about. And I'm definitely going to lose that race. And I'm going to think about losing that race the entire seven-month trip. So I'm already going to hate these people, not to mention I'm, I'm pushed up next to them. I get very, very scared when I when when the tether with my terrestrial tether expands beyond like state borders. You know, if I, <laughs> if I fly somewhere else, I'm usually like, very sort of, oh, God, what if what if I, I can ever get home again and I have to set up shop here? I, I'm in the middle of a fucking city with donut shops and delicious caf, uh, uh, cafes all around me. And I'm still like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. If something happens, I'm going to die. And so it's not going to work for me. You've seen what people are like when they land in friggin' Cleveland. The second the plane pulls up to the jetway, oh, yeah. they're up in the aisle reaching for their stuff. Cannot wait to get off. And this is like a two-hour flight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to bet. There's a Cinnabon on Mars. The first thing you do yeah. when you get off of the Mars uh, uh, airplane or whatever the fuck they call it. I, I didn't do enough research for this apparently. Airplane. The <laughs> Mars airplane. It, it, there's going to be a Cinnabon. Um, you're going to smell it. There's probably going to be a dude in sweatpants um, just kind of standing <laughs> around. Some Hare Krishnas. <laughs> there's going to be a husband and wife reuniting after so long. She doesn't realize that he cheated on her the whole time <laughs> when he was on Earth. And right. he's finally back on Mars. And they're all happy for the moment. But it's not going to last. That's the way it's going to be, I, you know. What about the psychological aspect of leaving things behind, family and whatnot? Does that trouble you? Me, yes. But I think if I were the type of person who would be willing to go to Mars, like let's hypothetically say, yes, I'm either an egomaniac or a scientist, uh, probably less so. Egomaniacs, they don't care about those people anyway. Scientists, I think, are going to be so blinded by science, uh, as she is wont to do. Or Thomas Dolby. <laughs> and that they're not even going to, they're not... I don't think I care too much. And really, scientists don't have families. I think we know that. Well, one downside is when you go to Mars, you know, we're so used to the overused adjective American. We, we've learned that the, the key to success in anything is, is to put the word American in front of it. American sniper, American beauty, American badass, fucking American airlines, the gall of those people. <laughs> and now everything's going to be Martian. And that is just weird. Martian this, Martian <laughs> that. You, you will be a Martian. Once you land and set up residence, you're a, a, a Martian. Well, you have to get the proper credentials first. You have to get, a, you have to get your passport changed. <laughs> yeah. You have, to, you have to apply for citizenship. You have to take the test. You have to know who the president of Mars was first. And it's, oh, it's a big thing. And the Martian DMV line. Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. It's the worst. Trying to yeah, get, get your license to drive the rover. Yeah. Parallel park that thing. There's one rover and there's like 15 people on Mars. I mean, yeah. you have to share the car, first of all. You're not going to have practice time. You know, to, to really ace the test, you're going to hit the cones. It's going to happen. Ugh, it's the worst. We, we touched on it earlier about the scenery, and I think that the scenery is going, everyone thinks about how great it's going to be. You know, you want to be the first person out there. You want to kind of see uh, and experience the, the uh, Martian sunrise, for example. And, and I, I know that, like, even here on Earth, scenery is one of those good things until you're around it all the time, and then mm -hmm. it just becomes nothing it's 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 just something to look at you know like the first time i saw a field of wheat i was probably impressed but I've, I've been in kansas most of my life and now it's just fucking wheat so there's not like a lot of uh things to really impress me outside the window so i really have to sort of find ways to to make myself happy kind of inside that that 
that claustrophobic den that would be uh, what I'm living in, you know? What if instead of Mars, it was some other planet? It was like an equally habitable or habitable planet, just as beautiful as Earth, almost just like Earth, maybe even where you wouldn't have to be in the bubble boy uh, scenario. And just the idea of going to a different planet and being among the first to to, uh, colonize that, would that hold any appeal to you? That would hold a little bit more appeal, but there's also plenty of places on Earth that aren't really habitate. (laughs) What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I I said it twice to cover my bases. (laughs) Well, I'm looking for inhabited, I think. There's places on Earth that that aren't quite inhabited yet. So I would first just go there, and I would probably get the same experience as feeling like I'm on one of those like planets. So, you know, a little bit more appeal, but still not not quite there. Yeah, I think someone who lives in, like, Manhattan would probably be like, get me the fuck on the next thing smoking to Mars or wherever else. I'll cut you off, and I will actually relay a very, very quick um, anecdote uh, that kind of that reminded me of this. Maybe this will give us an appreciation for where we live. So you and me, Gordon, we live in Kansas, and Kansas is famous for being very, very flat. We are, I think, lucky enough to live in the least flat part of Kansas, which is in the Kansas City area. Yay! But still, most of Kansas is pretty flat. Uh, when I was in college, one of my professors had mentioned that he grew up in Spain, and he grew up in a very, very con- a dense city in Spain. I, I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but he said that when he first came to Kansas, he the first thing he thought was uh, was how amazing it was that he could see he could actually see the horizon. He could see far. He grew up his entire life never seeing the horizon, never knowing what that looks like. And he got here and he landed and he just he was just taken aback by it, instantly fell in love. So, you know, for, for future Martians uh, who may be currently living in a city or for people like you and me, Gordon, be appreciative of, of the view that you have. Yeah, the, the Martian landscape is a lot like the Kansas landscape is what I'm getting out of that. Mm-hmm. I think probably, you know, less wheat and, and tin men, but, you know. So we have another sponsorship this week. <clears throat> this episode is brought to you by, oh, wait, that can't be right. Really? The Fleshlight Astro. Mm. <laughs> it's ideal for those rocket men for whom it's going to be a long, long time, as per Sir Elton John. Solar powered and tested in low gravity. Act now and we'll include the Mars suit adapter for discreet, hands-free operation. That's the Fleshlight Astro. Because launching monkeys into space isn't enough. Sometimes they need to be spanked. Okay, I retract everything I said. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. <laughs> Is that included? Is that part of the deal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's part. It's in your flight kit, you know. And if we're just retracting statements all willy-nilly here, I might as well retract one more. I do have a correction. It has been brought to our attention that the term nudist colony, which we used very often in episode five, titled Would You Live in a Nudist Colony, is actually offensive to some people, especially the elderly who make up the majority of the nudist colony populations. Uh, We've been informed that any of the following three terms are preferable. Uh, Nudist community, uh, nudist resort, and nightmare factory. (laughs) Or dream factory, if if you're of that persuasion. And with that, let's bring this thing to a close, shall we? My co-pilot, FYI, most of the information that I... Uh, found in my research came from the Mars mission itself, which you can find out more about at mars-one.com. Follow us on Twitter. Hit us up. Ask us important questions of your own. I am at Gordon Highland. And I am at Caleb J. Ross. You can subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. Leave comments. Uh, we would very much like you to leave us a review in one of the designated spots for that. Tell your friends, and we'll see you next time on an all-new Important Question.